0: Welcome to the Gospel Saves podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. I'm Wade Stanley, an evangelist with the Church of Christ. Please visit thegospelsaves.me for blogs, videos, and Bible studies. You can also find the Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Fasting, like prayer, is an ancient practice observed by many religious people. It was not uncommon for the Pharisees to use fasting as another way to prove their righteousness. Though he does not command fasting, Jesus regulates it by advising us to keep our fasts between ourselves and God. He also warns us about the dangers of materialism, encouraging us to instead lay up treasure in heaven, fixing our perspective and our priorities on what will last for eternity. On our last program, we left off in Matthew chapter 6, around verse number 14. We've been talking about what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, and in that prayer, Jesus gives us a blueprint for the various things we should include in our prayers. He talks about how we need to pray for our necessities, He talks of how we need to ask God to help us to overcome temptation. And then he goes back in verses 14 and 15 and he emphasizes one point from that prayer. He says, for if you forgive men your trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is a very important idea that my forgiveness depends on my willingness to forgive other people. It's very easy to hold a grudge against someone and that temptation is no different for the Christian than it is for anyone else. However, what does make it different for the Christian and in reality for everyone is if we want forgiveness from God, we have to be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Holding grudges, holding grievances against someone has no place in the kingdom of God. And I know this is very challenging. I I have my own personal struggles with this, as I know everyone who listens to this program in all likelihood does. We all understand how difficult it is to let go, especially when someone has offended us, has wounded us deeply. And yet we must remember that blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. That if we want God to forgive our debts to him, we must be willing to forgive our debtors when we move into verse number 16 we see the the third work that jesus is talking about here in the sixth chapter he opened up talking about charity about uh, giving to those who have need and not to make a show of this not to try to draw attention to ourselves through generosity but rather to do it quietly behind the scenes He then moves to the subject of prayer. Don't pray out in public with the express intent of drawing attention to yourself, of making yourself appear to be more religious than the other person. The third work he's going to talk about is fasting. He says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. I don't know if you have intentionally fasted in the past, but this is a a practice that not only is, is taught by Jesus, but is also given to us in example in several places in the New Testament. If you think back to the temptation of Jesus, you might remember after he was baptized, he he went out into the wilderness and spent 40 days fasting. He was without food and water. After 40 days of fasting, Satan comes to him and, and begins to tempt him. And what's the first thing that Satan tempts him with? Well, turn these stones into bread. That would have been a real temptation for Jesus because he had just spent 40 days without eating anything. So you might ask yourself, well, why did Jesus place himself in such a position? Well, fasting does seem to have a a strengthening effect on the spirit, on the internal person, that that 40 days of fasting was intentional on Jesus' part. He knew that there was a time of trial, a time of testing that was coming, and in preparation for that time of trial, he kept himself from food. Now, there are other examples of fasting in the New Testament that we could look at. For instance, when Paul and Barnabas were appointing elders in the churches that they had first preached the gospel to in Galatia, this is in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Luke tells us, "...so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Here's another example of fasting at work and, and notice how fasting is paired with prayer. There seems to be a, a very tight connection between praying and fasting that when someone chooses to give up a meal for a time that associated with that or connected with that is also a time of prayer. Praying and fasting. So the fact that Jesus mentions these two things back to back isn't coincidental. There does seem to be a a spiritual connection. If you're going to deprive yourself of food for a time, do so with prayer. Now, I think it's very important that we we make it clear that that fasting isn't just keeping yourself from, from one thing. It's a choice of keeping yourself from all foods. I know there are probably people here who have have chosen for religious purposes to give up eating certain foods during certain times of the year. This is not the biblical concept of fasting. Fasting always carries with it a a deprival of all foods that for a a period of time we are not going to eat. So it's not just keeping yourself from one thing that you love very dearly. It's, It's a matter of keeping yourself from all food. And the whole purpose is for the spirit to to master the body, to bring the body under control, if you will. And that's why praying goes right alongside with it. Jesus says when you fast, don't make it obvious to everyone who sees you. Don't go around and, and try to make people feel sorry for you. That Oh, look at me, I'm fasting. You can tell. Look at how sunken in my cheeks are. Look at how how ashen my countenance appears. There were folks who apparently did so in Jesus' day, and Jesus found it to be quite distasteful. Don't appear to other people as if you're fasting. Rather, just appear normal. And the whole purpose, as it has been with, with charity and with prayer, is that your Heavenly Father will know what you're doing. Your heavenly Father will know that you have given up food for a time. And it's His good favor that that we want to attract. It's His good opinion we want, not the good opinion of other people, because that good opinion is fleeting. No, instead, we want God to look down on us in this time where we have given up food for the express purpose of focusing our mind of turning ourselves over to Him in prayer, dedicating a certain portion of our life to this. It's it's this idea of of having our Heavenly Father look down on us and be pleased with our sacrifice. That's what we want. Not the praise of men, not the honor of men, but rather honor that comes from God. In verse number 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the beginning of the the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is going to talk about our priorities. What's most important to us in this life? He begins by talking about our investment. Where do our investments lie? Are we investing only in the things of this world, or are we laying up treasures in heaven? Now, I I certainly don't look at this passage as a criticism of money, not in any way. We find out that money can be a very useful tool. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul urges those who are rich to use their wealth who accomplish good in this world. And in that way, they will lay up for themselves a great reward. Let's just take a moment to turn over there because I think what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 dovetails nicely with what Jesus is talking about here in uh, Matthew chapter 6. So in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, beginning in verse number 17, "...command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches." but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Do you see the connection between the two? Paul says, if you've got wealth in this world, put it to work. Use it to benefit the lives of others. And when you do so, when you are generous, when you fill your life with good works, you're laying up treasure in heaven. It all comes down to our perspective. As Paul says, don't be haughty. Don't trust in the wealth of this world. If we're arrogant, if we're full of pride, if our money causes us to to look down on others or hoarding it for ourselves is our primary motivation. Both Paul and Jesus say we're trusting in the things of this world. No, if, if we've got money, we need to be generous. We need to put it to work. There are people out there that need help. So don't just keep it for yourself. Invest it in other people. As Jesus says here, moths come in and destroy clothing. Rust destroys money. Of course, in Jesus' day, they only used metal coins, right? Thieves come in and they steal. So if we trust in the things of this world, especially the wealth of this world, we're only looking to disappoint ourselves. Instead, we ought to focus our priorities on investing for eternity. That's where our priorities should lie. He says in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This might seem like a curious statement, but I think Jesus is just illustrating his point from the previous couple verses in a little different way. Verses 19 through 21, when he's talking about laying up our treasure, he's really talking about our perspective. Where are we looking? Are we looking toward the things of this world? Are we looking toward heaven? In verses 22 and 23, he's simply stating this in a different way. If our perspective is fixed on this world, our life is going to be filled with darkness. However, if our perspective is fixed on heavenly things, our life will be filled with light. My friends, it all comes down to our priorities. It all comes down to our attitude. It all comes down to what is the viewpoint that guides our life. Are we wanting to go to heaven. If that is our goal, then we need to make the things of this world of lesser importance. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapel Dridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.